the Pacers season underway, less than 12 hours. Wizards at home tonight, Spurs and Pistons Friday and Saturday. And a huge one for the Colts this Sunday as they look to split the season series with Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans. And, of course, the Jim Irsay comments from yesterday, which we've hit on a lot. And we'll continue here with our next guest. He is Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. Stephen, your level of surprise yesterday in hearing Jim Irsay's comments in a very public manner. Uh, I was, I was, excuse me, I was stunned. I I really was. Not so much by the specifics of what he said, but, but just the fact that, that anybody actually went there. You know, the NFL is so structured and so careful and, and, plotting about their moves and this was definitely an off script moment for Jim Mercy. There's no doubt about it. I've been to many owners meetings and it's, it's very rare that an owner stops and number one gives an interview <laughs> and that, that says anything substantive. And then number two uh, says something explosive. Like I, that just doesn't happen. They may make some news, but this is a different level. So I was pretty sort of surprised by it, but, but I think when you when you get past the initial surprise, I, I think if you understand Jim Irsay and you under and you know Jim Irsay, I think you're probably not surprised that he's the one who stepped up to say it, because that's the one thing you can tell him with Jim Irsay is honesty and speaking his mind, for better or worse. And I think this is a an absolute perfect example of just that. Stephen, I had just mentioned this. And what your thought on this? I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that other owners would have come to Jim Irsay to ask for this, but this one would assume was precipitated by the report this week that Daniel Snyder had hired private investigators to dig up dirt on other owners, almost as a defense of himself. He has since said that that's not accurate, but. Jim Irsay is a person whose indiscretions have been very public. It is very well known. It would be difficult to dig up anything on Jim Irsay that has not already been headlines. So Jim Irsay has that protection almost of, hey, come at me. What do you, you, you can't because it's all out there. Do you think that that in any way motivated Jim Irsay to speak out knowing that he was almost protected, if you will? And is there any chance that that meant subliminally that he was standing up for all of the other owners as the guy, as I had said, that was going to take, go ahead and take the meat away from the Wolverine. Well, you know, I I think you have to assume that it it played into his, his rationale and his justification for going public and saying this, Uh, because listen, I mean, we have no idea if, if Daniel Snyder really has the goods that he's supposedly reportedly, threatening you know that that's that's the one thing that came across in the story is that it's not clear whether he actually has dirt or if it's just a threat of coming public or going public with dirt but be that as it may you you maybe have to take him seriously because the man is clearly a vindictive person (laughs) this is very clear right so my point is if you're Jim Mersey I agree with you a hundred percent if that's a concern for any of those owners in the room, it's not one for Jim Mercy. Because you know who has talked most about Jim Mercy's vices? Jim Mercy. You know? So it's exactly what you said. I mean, 
what are you gonna what are you gonna hit him with? We know it all. He has a past, and we know the entire past. We know more about Jim Mercer's past than probably any other NFL owner, the good and the bad, right? And and I think the difference between Jim Irsay and and Daniel Snyder, and I'm not saying this as someone who covers the Colts and is being a homer. I think this is just true. There's a big difference here, and I'm not going to compare, you know, people's wrongs and failures. That's not what I'm going to do. What I am going to say, though, is there is a difference between acknowledging and confronting your issues, as we clearly know Jim Irsay has done. There's a difference between doing that and what Daniel Snyder ha- continues to be accused of doing, which is to, which is to ops, obfuscate and to, to put up roadblocks and to willfully hurt people and go after people. He's vindictive. I mean, all of these horrible things that he's been accused of, I can't prove them personally, but there certainly are a, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of evidence that a lot of it's true. So there's a difference between what he's accused of and what Jim Mercer has done just in terms of how they have responded to the issues and the accusations. Completely different. You know, with that, and I, and I again, I want to make clear, Stephen, I'm playing devil's advocate here because I'm yeah. I'm all for the removal of Daniel Snyder, I, quite frankly. Um, did Jim Mercer, however, speak prematurely because of the fact that the investigations of Daniel Snyder's very gross allegations against him are not yet complete. Uh, yeah, I mean, look if if you ask if you ask the league, probably <laughs> just from a, a black and white standpoint, right? But I also think these things are also uh, dealt with in the court of public opinion, and in the end, no vote to remove Daniel Snyder would happen unless there was, I think, overwhelming public support for it. And I've even heard people say maybe this was a trial balloon on Jim Mercer's behalf, and and maybe this was orchestrated. I don't know. I'm really not sure. I I will tell you, I had a cult source tell me yesterday that they didn't know this was coming, uh, at least people in the organization. That doesn't mean that there there wasn't a conversation among Jim Mercer and his colleagues at the ownership level. So I, I can't speak to that. But the bottom line is, I, I do think you can make a very strong argument that at the end of the day, this there are people that felt this needed to be said, regardless of whether it's premature or not, because as I said, this is going to play out very in a very uh, large extent or to a large extent in the court of public opinion. And not that Daniel Snyder has a lot of friends anyway, <laughs> but... But I do think if you if you make it front and center, and and after all the explosive allegations come out, if you make it clear, all right, we are not with this guy. I, you want to keep him at arm's reach, right? Why does the league want to be associated with Daniel Snyder right now? There's not been anything good to come out about this guy in years. So the fact that they would want to to keep him at arm's length and to and to to remove themselves from his proximity. And say, hey, we're not we're not with this guy. He's not one of us. I mean, I think you could make the argument that they're very much in favor of that, regardless of the the status of the investigation. Stephen, I do want to transition to this Sunday for the Colts, but I, one last point I wanted to make of I I felt like it was a big warning shot for Merce. I mean, I, I think if you read yeah. his quotes, he mentioned several times in there 
that if these allegations are true, there is merit to vote him out of the league. I, I, I did think he prefaced that several times. And I think kudos to him for basically, unlike really any other owner in the league, every other owner in the league is basically saying, uh, not my problem. Um, I don't need to publicly say anything about it. My organization's fine. We're still doing great financially as a league. I'm good. And, and maybe that'll change if the allegations do, you know, come out of these lawsuits. But I think the warning shot that Ursay sent is really rare. And that's where I will credit him in that not just saying, oh, it's a commander's issue. I'm not worried about that. My franchise, my workplace culture, et cetera, everything is fine and dandy. Yeah, and I would add to that, great point, great point. And, and I would add that, think about this. Think about the, the comments he made publicly yesterday, which were absolutely just explosive. Think about what he said publicly, and now imagine what he's saying behind closed doors. Think about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we all talk differently among our colleagues and, and those we know personally than we do publicly, especially in front of a bank of microphones. And he spared nobody's feelings in what he said yesterday in front of the world. I can only imagine what he is saying behind closed doors in those meetings and, and just how honest and, and forceful he is being. And I, I have no doubt that he is putting pressure on his ownership colleagues uh, to, to you know, come over to his side of, of the fence if they aren't already. So I, I think that was very, very clear. That's a clear assumption I think you can make just based on the nature of what Jamerse said. He's Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, transitioning to the current 2022 Colts. Stephen, uh, the no-huddle approach, um, extremely, extremely important to give a jolt to this offense. Obviously, 58 pass attempts is not sustainable. Um, I think the stat I saw yesterday is when the franchise – has attempted 50 or more passes. They're like 625-1 and one in games. Having said that, um, how should they handle the no huddle moving forward, and how do you think they will handle it? I, I think you want to definitely keep it on the table and, and probably uh, not necessarily at the forefront, but you, you definitely want it in every game plan. And, and it's probably already been something that was under consideration, but – but if they practice it more and, and give it more, more focus, make it more of a focus in practice, then I think they will grow more and more comfortable using it. I think they should. Now, whether they can use it to the extent they did on Sunday, I don't think that's true. Um, I would be surprised by that, right? That was probably a one-off. They certainly caught Jacksonville off guard. No one knew that was coming. So that was also, uh, that, that's also why that was a very unique situation. You know, Jacksonville could not have prepared for that. They didn't have any idea it was coming. I certainly had no idea. And I've watched every snap this season. So so they, they lose the element of surprise. So they can't use it to the same extent. But I do think you can you can pull it out from time to time and, and not just in the two-minute situations where, look, they've been pretty good in those two-minute situations, at least at the end of games this year. And, and I think maybe we should have picked up on that. And I think some of us did. And it's not as if this is the first time we've talked about the no huddle. But, but I think the, there's evidence, right, just from the, the way that Matt Ryan has operated in the two-minute offense uh, this season. I think that probably gave them some confidence that they could have some. 
Yes, in the no huddle. So I think there's an associated question here too, Kevin, and it's this. And I'm going to try to articulate this in a story later this week. We'll see how good I am with words. But I really think the question now before the Colts, at least as we sit here today, do they need to basically become more of a pass-first offense? Because certainly the the running game, they have tried and tried and tried. And finally, Frank Reich said, damn it, we are banging our heads against the wall. And he was right. And so they go the complete opposite direction and have all kinds of success. Now, granted, Jacksonville's secondary, not very good. But that being said, they it's the first time this, off, this offense looked functional. And maybe they're a better passing offense than they like to believe. Who knows? Steven, have they found their offensive line in terms of the solidarity of it? I mean, listen, what did they have? however many snaps without Matt Ryan getting hit. I mean, they kept him clean for the most part, and we saw what could happen. But is this the long-term final solution now of combination at O-line? Possibly. Uh, I think they still have to figure out whether they have the right guy at right guard. And I'm talking about Matt Pryor. Look, I mean, I think you, you can do less damage if you're playing poorly. You can do less damage playing guard than you can tackle because the speed off the edge is just really tough to deal with, uh, really hard for the quarterback to, to maneuver around. So, you know, he got some interior pressure be- and prior gave some of that pressure up. Uh, but I, I think Matt Ryan, you know, can, he can either sidestep it. He can see it at least. And, and I think you can maneuver around that a little bit easier. Now it does prevent you from stepping up in the pocket, but to your question, have they found the combination? I, I think that's the question mark that remains. The other question mark is, are they going to stick with Dennis Kelly at left tackle? I think it makes sense, certainly. The only reason I think it's a question is because they have, Frank Reich has said very specifically, they, they wanted Ryman to kind of grow into that right. role long term. But, but the way I see it is, look, you are where you are. you got to play and you got to win. And you got to worry about right now. The future is the future. We'll, you got to worry about the future later. You know, I recall a few years ago, a, a few, I mean, Stephen, it's been a long time ago, when Rob Morris was a linebacker here for the Colts. I remember there was one play on, it was in the Tampa game, the Monday Night Miracle game. Yep. Where Rob Morris was chasing down, um, I think it was Keeney McCardell, just running him down, and it was almost embarrassing. And, Later talking to Rob Morris, and Rob Morris is like, look, man, I don't want to publicly say this and look like a whiner, but I'm getting the blame for an area where I was actually making up for somebody else's breakdown in the area they were supposed to cover. And so I slid over and was trying to help, basically, and I look like the bad guy. I say that because I saw a you know an up-high film shot of a play where Matt Pryor looked absolutely lost. I mean, it was like, what is this guy doing? He was like dancing with ghosts and it made me wonder I'm not saying all the time Stephen but is it possible that there are plays where it looks totally egregious that Pryor looks completely out of place when in reality it's because an offensive line works as a group and somebody else had a misstep and he's the one that it glares out on not all the time but is it possible that happens yeah, absolutely. It's it's a hundred percent possible. I have seen multiple linemen this year clearly uh, miscommunicate or miss 
uh, have poor execution, particularly on those those line, defensive line games that they run. So we're talking the stunts and the twist where they are trying to get uh, they're trying to force you into mis- into mistakes, right? And, and that has certainly happened. I've seen Ryan Kelly make those mistakes this year. You know, a few too many, in fact. I've seen Quentin Nelson screw up on a couple of those. So what you're what you're outlining is entirely possible. However, there also are with Pryor. There also are way too many uh, instances where it's very clear that it's his guy and he gets beat one on one. And, and that's where I can judge an offensive lineman. I think too many times we as, as the fan and, and us in the media as well, we think we know more than we do, right? And we watch and we're like, oh, that guy got beat. Well, you have no idea what the hell they called in the, in the huddle or on the sideline, right? I mean, you have no idea whether there was supposed to be a rotation, whether someone was supposed to drop in the coverage as opposed to stay in man. You have no idea, right? So my point is um, – those are harder to judge, but when it's mono e mono, and and you're getting just destroyed, it's a pretty clear cut situation in those instances. I have seen a lot of those with prior, and that I think is the bigger issue. Stephen Holder again with us, ESPN.com. Stephen, somebody asked me this yesterday, and I thought it was interesting. It's just a thought that hadn't really popped into my head. Do you think there was any thinking with Jonathan Taylor late last week of? hey, you know, we're planning to go no huddle. There's probably a good chance we chuck it, you know, 40, 50 times on Sunday. This guy's a little iffy. He didn't look fully 100% at practice. Let's hold him out this week. Or is that a little bit wishful thinking for a team 2-2-1 two, two, and one, facing a huge divisional game? And in reality, he just couldn't give it a go. No, I think that's I think it's probably wishful digging if they were thinking that way <laughs> because I would I would really question their their logic if they thought that way. I, I do think though that clearly Jonathan Taylor's ankle injury was was not quite as minor as as they wanted us to believe. That is very clear now. I mean, he's missed two full weeks. Uh, I guess we'll find out today. I'm very I'm very anxious to learn, you know, whether whether he's made some progress. Now him practicing on some level last week is what was surprising to me that that's where I, I kind of where it became ambiguous for me because generally a guy practices on a limited basis Thursday and Friday he's got a good shot to play uh, but you know the fact that they ruled him out on Saturday when they didn't have to honestly maybe I think that tells me that it was probably legitimate I think if it was truly uh, a close game time decision you know they would have taking it right up to game time they did not and and they that's two weeks in a row they've just ruled them out uh even in this week when they didn't have to travel and they could have let it linger to sunday you know because you know when a guy doesn't make the trip as people may or may not know you have to rule him out you know ahead of that trip this was a home game they could have let it ride to sunday they did not so i i don't know i'm very curious i know this wasn't your question but i am curious uh as to the specifics of that injury i will say when Frank Reich was asked, maybe by you, I can't recall, but when Frank Reich was asked whether he has a high ankle sprain, uh, he still to this day has not answered that question. <laughs> so, And by the way, we've tried on Jonathan Taylor. He's given us nothing. He is master of the stiff arm uh, in, the, in a very nice way. He does it with a smile. Got news for you. The October 30th game for the Indianapolis Colts went from moderately interesting to uninteresting with Carson Wentz's injury back to 
Prime time, baby. Yeah. Flex it, do whatever. Then. Well, it, it is already 425. And Game be- of the week. I believe the halftime show will not be Tart Glenn's <laughs> Ring of Honor. It will be an octagon with Jim Mercy and Daniel Snyder there. The, at the Washington 50. Commanders, who, by the way, Jim Mercy, his only slip up in yesterday's move was he did refer to them as the Redskins, by the way. Oops. Well, listen, look, I'm here for it, guys. Um, I'm, I'm really here for it. I don't know who wins, uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> who cares I'm, I'm definitely here for it who cares bring out the bring out the octagon kevin steven I mean, one eye on new york game, one right? eye on what's 56 thank you for the time this morning all right guys see you soon steven holder right there on the payless slickers hotline um and tonight the indiana pacers get things underway it is the washington wizards that will be paying a visit to the newly renovated Gamebridge Fieldhouse and taking on the soon-to-be-renovated Indiana Pacers. Joining us now to talk about it, he's the television voice on Bally Sports Indiana for the Pacers, Chris Denary, who joins us. Chris, you're fired up, right? Hey, I'm ready to go, yeah. Uh, we got uh, two under our belt during the preseason and now uh, the first of 82. So, yeah, uh, opening night's always, always a special night, no matter what year it is, no matter who's on your team, no matter who's coming into the building. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to tonight. You know, it from a broadcast standpoint, we talk so much about teams finding their way, finding their rhythm. I know you've done this for a long time, Chris, but even still as a broadcaster, does it take you a couple of games to get back into the swing of things and just kind of get everything back flowing in terms of the flow of a broadcast? Uh, there's no question. Just when you think about it, uh, I last did a game on April the 10th, uh, which was the final game of last season. And then, you know, I join you for a few races, but that's a lot different um, on the IMS radio network. And then, uh, you know, you jump right in and you do a few preseason games. And um, it's it's as much about calling the game as, you know, getting used to working on your board that you've, that you've developed over the years, uh, learning, you know, you, you've got to watch the live action, looking down at the monitor, knowing when replays come, they're talking in your ear. So there's no question that uh, it, it takes you a little bit to get up to speed, but you've got to hit the ground running because we've got a game tonight, a game Friday, a game Saturday, and then hit the road for five straight next week. So uh, it comes at you pretty quickly. And, and so having those three preseason games that we did, two on Valley Sports and one on League Pass, uh, that really helps you get ready for uh, the start of the regular season. He is Chris Denary. Again, TV coverage tonight over on Bally Sports. You guys do the – is it the hour-long pregame show leading into tonight? Yes. In fact, it's really about an hour and a half because at 5.30 we uh, taped a 30-minute uh, special that aired for the first time on Monday night at 8, and it will be on the air at 5.30. Uh, I do a sit-down with Kevin Pritchard during that half hour. Nice. And then from 6 to 7, uh, J.J. and Eddie Gill and all of us will be live for a one-hour pregame uh, prior to tip at 7. Let me throw some storylines at you, and you can play off of any of them or you know, toss in another if you'd like. Obviously, Benedict Matherin speaks for itself. Um, how about Tyrese Halliburton taking that next step to you know being a potential all-star, being a top whatever, five, seven-point guard in the league? Uh, obviously, what happens with all the vets and just the balance with rookie playing time? Um, Jalen Smith and Aaron Neesmith, are they going to show more of the lottery pick sort of potential? And then is Isaiah Jackson an, an every night five uh, in this league? And obviously, Miles Turner's situation will uh, play into that. Um, any of those stand out to you or a- any other storylines that you're really watching? 
Well, a couple of things, and I'll start at the at the center position. I mean, one of the things that I saw from Miles in the preseason, and, and really he played limited minutes. Uh, there were a couple of games he didn't even play in the second half, but was his ability to get to the free throw line. He was 17 of 18 at the free throw line in the four games. And again, uh, if you look at free throw attempts per minute, it was pretty high. And so I think that says a lot about what the Pacers are trying to get him to do. Sure, he can shoot the three. But without DeMontis Sabonis now on the floor, I mean, there's more opportunity for Miles to go inside. And, and I, I, think, I think Tyrese Halliburton has said, that's how I feel I can help Miles. Uh, he's so used to picking and popping that we need him to roll a little bit. And, and Miles is a good shooter, and so getting to the free throw line, I think, will help him. Also at the five, you mentioned Isaiah Jackson. I, I think the biggest thing is he's got to stay out of foul trouble. I mean, that really hindered him last year as a rookie. And I'll just go back to Friday night. Uh, he comes in the game in the first quarter and plays a minute and picks up two fouls. And he is too talented to, you know, to, to be, to be in that situation. He offers the Pacers so much off the bench. So I think that five position, you know, you'll watch that area. And then I think uh, all those, all those storylines you hit uh, Tyrese Halliburton told me last week on Pacers weekly, I asked how it, what individual goals do you have that will help benefit this team? And he said, well, I want to be a double-double guy in this league. I want to be a 2010 guy because I think that will really help the team. And and absolutely he has aspirations to be an all-star. I think any any player in the league, I mean, you have individual goals, and that's one of the goals that you have. So um, I, I think you're spot on there. And, and I think the one thing will be to watch the three-point shooting. It was not um, you know where it needs to be in the preseason. They shot 29.5%. Uh, they struggled at times last year from three-point range. And I think we know in this league, uh, you know, more often than not, uh, the teams that are successful are successful from three-point range. So I think that will be something that we'll be dialing in early in the year just to see how this team is shooting the ball from the perimeter. Chris, fact or fiction on this? This season, if there is a player who the Pacers are hoping to give significant minutes either to evaluate or to allow develop, it will not be factored in exactly how that is affecting their win-loss total to the level that that would have been a factor in years past. I, I would say fact. I mean, I think what you're trying to do is you're trying to grow a group of players and you're in this for the long game. Um, sure. I mean, those guys and that coaching staff, when they go out on the floor, absolutely. They want to win every night. I mean, that that's, that's why you play the game. But at the same point, I think everybody knows that there is a great opportunity for this group to grow together. And the way that you get better in the future is you've got to play a lot together, um, in, in the early stages of your group. And, and so I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see a lot of high moments uh, in just as you saw in the preseason, the, the nice win at Charlotte when the defense was good, uh, the come from behind win against New York. And then you might see some games like you saw uh, in New York in, in preseason game number two and, and the Houston game when a team comes out and lights it up for three and, and you don't really have an answer. So I think all of that is, is going to come with time. And so I do think that you're going to give some players an opportunity to grow um, maybe at the expense, I don't want to say at the expense of winning games, but at the expense that you know that it's going to benefit you in the long term. And I think that's, that's definitely what the Pacers are interested in right now. How can we get to the point 
uh, you know, in in the long term, and and hopefully it's a shorter long term. But we develop these players, so a, a few years from now or next year or whatever that year is, we're ready to go and 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 really, uh, you know, consider ourselves a, a player in the Eastern Conference. I am very intrigued by what the Pacers may have landed as a player in Aaron Neesmith, but I don't know what they might have landed. Do you think the Pacers know what they might have landed? Well, I think it's a lot like Jalen Smith when they made the deal last year, uh, you know, at the trade deadline. I remember he he played in his first game and he walked in the building like four hours before on that Friday. And you really didn't know what you were getting. You had seen some signs with him in Phoenix, but he had not gotten a lot of consistent playing time. And once we saw consistent playing time, you realized what kind of player he could be. I think a lot of that is also with Aaron Nies- with Aaron Neesmith. Um, you, you look at him coming out of Vanderbilt. He got hurt his last year. He only played 14 games. He was a 50% three-point shooter. He was considered one of the best shooters coming out in the draft. He goes to a Boston team that is built for now, ready to try to win a championship, and especially last year didn't get a lot of opportunities, sort of got buried on the bench. So what we saw – uh, early in the preseason before he went out with the plantar fascia injury, he w- he was really good in, in Charlotte, hit threes. He's very athletic, can defend on the wing. So I, I think you're right. I think, I, think they, I think they think they know what they have in Aaron Neesmith, but you want to see him on the floor uh, because I think he fits, he fits the timeline with what they are building right now. And he's iffy for tonight, right? Yeah, I mean, I, yesterday he, he was in practice. But he is still he is still listed as questionable, and I think the the first injury report comes out a little bit uh, later this morning. We'll find out uh, where he stands as well. I need to get him some inserts from the good feet. Yeah, I, I think that needs to be uh, on the agenda for this Wednesday for you. Um, on that note, Chris um, O'Shea Brissett's role has been really interesting um, in the preseason, and I guess as I try to kind of put together a starting unit and then the reserve unit. Um, I, I don't know if he has a consistent role, and and frankly, I think he should should. But then I'm thinking to myself, well, if Neesmith's healthy, is he the three? They really like Terry Taylor. Maybe Terry Taylor is that backup four. Um, I guess the question is rotationally tonight. Do you think O'Shea Brissett will be in the rotation? And maybe who are some names um, surprisingly in the rotation or potentially out of the rotation that you're keeping an eye on? Well, I think it depends on how deep Rick Carlisle wants to go on his bench. One of the things he's talked about, he feels he has a lot of players that are on equal footing um, that he could go 10 or 11 uh, deep. Uh, now, I'm, I'm not comparing the Pacers to Golden State. They're, they're the defending champs. But last night, Steve Kerr had talked about that he was probably going to go 10 or 11 deep, and he did in his rotation. You know, most coaches – especially playoff time, of course, it might be around eight. But even in the regular season, I think coaches like to be around nine, maybe ten. But I think if you have players that are are warranted to get on the floor, you may go a little deeper. And especially as the season progresses, look at this weekend. You've got a – even though it's a a home back-to-back, it's still a back-to-back, and you're playing three and four. And so you might spread those minutes out a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit similar to last year. O'Shea Brissett got off to a slow start and really wasn't uh, in the rotation early, but late in the year he played very well. And, and I think he can, he can look to that, that if he's not in the rotation early in the season, it doesn't mean he won't be in the rotation 
in November or December or January or whatever. Uh, but but right now, I think a lot depends on D. Smith tonight if he's available and and how Rick Carlisle opts to use his bench. What we saw in the preseason is Miles Turner was usually the first starter out, and then he would come back in and play with that second unit with McConnell and Matherin and and Terry Taylor. So uh, I think we'll get a little bit of a sign tonight um, if if Neesmith is out, but also if Neesmith is healthy, maybe what that rotation will be here in the first week or so of the year. Chris, in terms of this roster, Chris Denary is our guest. He's the television play-by-play man for Bally Sports Indiana for the Indiana Pacers, taking on the Washington Wizards tonight to kick off the season. Chris is on the uh, Payless Liquors hotline. In terms of this particular roster, Chris, what player do you think has the ability to most thrive or will most benefit, let's say that, from, and I hate to put it this way, but I'm going to, a year without expectation, a year where the win total and the playoff seeding and sweating out every game is not necessarily the main priority, and so that pressure is off a little. I know players want to win, but with that pressure off and just kind of a show me what you got, go out and play between the lines and don't worry about the results like year, what player does that most benefit? Well, I think there's, I think there's, a, I think there's a bunch of them, Jake, from the standpoint that uh, nine or ten of the, the players on this roster are 22 years of age and younger. Um, and so they have an opportunity to grow. I mean, you can look at the rookie. You can look at Matherin. You can look at Nemhard. That they're just going to they're going to be handed opportunities to go out and play and learn the ropes of the NBA. And, and I think that's essential as you grow. I mean, I, I think back, uh, you know, to the 2010 draft. Um, and when Frank Vogel took over, when Jim O'Brien was let go, uh, they used Paul George a whole lot more than they used earlier in the year. And, and, and I think at that point there were no expectations, but I think that opportunity to play, even though they made the playoffs as the eighth seed, I think that really helped Paul. And then I, helped, I think that really helped him, you know, in his Pacers career, especially those next three years as he became the player he became. And the uh, Pacers then went to the Eastern Conference Finals. So I think those young guys will really benefit from just having the opportunity to go out and play in significant roles and and playing in games uh, that are going down the stretch, playing in close games uh, where you've got to hit a big shot, you've got to make a big defensive stop. Uh, So honestly, I I think all these guys are going to benefit from that opportunity. It can only help them for the future. Kristen Aries with us again tonight. It'll be him, Quinn Buckner, Jeremiah Johnson, Bally Sports. Coverage begins at 5.30 for them, tip just after 7 o'clock. CD, I thought it was pretty wild the other night when you mentioned that the Fort Wayne Mad Ants have an average age on their roster, I think you said a year and a half older than the Pacers. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's – I think Chad Buchanan at the time, uh, it was like 25 and a half for the Mad Ants and 23.8 uh, for the Pacers. So, yes, Gosh. it's like 1.7 years. And you look out there, yes, the, the Mad Ants, of course, are housed um, in the Ascension St. Vincent practice facility. And so they were over on Salesforce Court 
uh, in the morning. And once the Pacers practice is over, they come over and practice in the practice facility. And Justin Anderson, who we saw last year, played at Virginia with Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, he's, he's considered a, a veteran now, but he's on that Mad Ants roster. There are a number of older players. So, uh, yeah, they have an older roster right now than the Pacers do. On paper, this has got to be one of the easier three-game stretches of the season, correct, to, to, to start things? Wizards, Spurs, and Pistons? I, when you are you know scheduled to win 23-and-a-half, according to Vegas, I don't know if anything qualifies as easy, so maybe that's not the right word, but uh, this is a rather manageable start to the year. Well, when you think about what you're looking at then the next week, you've got in Philadelphia, who is a title contender, Chicago, who was a playoff team last year. You've got to play Brooklyn twice. Uh, with Durant and Irving and, and Simmons, and, and then you've got the rematch with Washington. You've got three teams that are, aren't expected to make the playoffs in Washington, San Antonio, and Detroit. But I would say if you look at Washington's roster tonight, I mean, you've got Bradley Beal, who's considered one of the top players in the NBA. Kristaps Porzingis at seven foot three is a very talented player. Kyle Kuzma is coming off the best year of his NBA uh, career. So I think there are a lot of talented teams and players in the NBA. I think Washington is a team that feels like they could be a playoff team or a play-in team this year. So, yeah, I guess if you look at the schedule based on records from a year ago and where teams are projected, yes, you would say these three games uh, you know, are, are more manageable than other games. But this is the NBA, and there are a lot of talented players, and – and at the beginning of the year, everybody truly wants to prove themselves. So uh, th- this will be a, a challenging week for the Pacers, no no question. I'm telling you, um, Kevin, by January, you're going to own a Benedict Matherin jersey, right? Oh, are you saying I don't <laughs> own one already? You may have it by Friday. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I guess he hasn't you, – you said you didn't know where I lived. Why, how do you know what's in my closet? <laughs> That's a fair point. All right, fair enough. Anything new, Chris, uh, telecast, broadcast-wise? Obviously, Bally's been a popular topic in the offseason, but I guess anything graphic-wise, I, I I don't know. The Connecticut commercials are immaculate, as always. <laughs> Terrific job on that. Uh, well, thanks. There, there are, I'm sure, some new graphics. We'll have some new packages, uh, maybe some new music here or there. I mean, we're, we're going to try to do our best as well as to tell the story and to introduce our fan base uh, to these new players because they're – are going to be Pacers fans that tune in that that don't recognize some of the, the guys that have been there in the past. So that's on us, and, and we look forward to that challenge. And, yeah, it was a lot of fun uh, to uh, film the new Connecticut commercial with our two new rescue dogs. I thought Augie and Izzy, they did very well. Uh, my wife takes great pride in our house, so we're always, I mean, we're always happy to to show, I think I heard you when I was on last week. You said it looked so warm and inviting. So and warm so and inviting, we, which I I've <laughs> been to your old. I think it was your old house that I that yeah. I've been to. Uh, but the gardening, yes, uh, just pristine to say the least. <laughs> well, uh, look I, at I you two just of... having little sleepovers without me. That's hey, cool. Chris Tenere used to coach me in basketball, Jake. <laughs> Fair right. enough. I used I used to put the green light on for Kevin Bowen to uh, launch three. Right, neon green. Kevin, when or, or Chris, when the green light's on, I pass it to you 120 times. Come on. <laughs> That's right. When the yellow's on, we just sit up, sit up in our spot <laughs> and rest. That is correct. Again, tonight the coverage will begin at 5:30, as Chris mentioned. Uh, an interview with Kevin Pritchard to start things off, and then JJ Nettie Gill with the pregame, the hour long pregame leading into the season opener 
Tonight, it'll be the Pacers and the Wizards at GameBridge Fieldhouse. Chris, can't wait for the season. Um, always love you on the call. Really looking forward to it. I think it's a fun, fun era. I think Pacers fans feel that as well. And uh, cannot wait for tonight. Well, thanks so much. It's hard for me to believe I'm starting my 17th year doing this. And uh, uh, you know you feel old when uh, I, at one of our draft parties this year, I had a, a family come up. And I, the, the kid was, I think he was like a junior at Hamilton Southeastern. He goes, I've been watching you since I can remember. And I'm like, oh, wow. That's, yeah. Uh, that's a long time. But, but uh, we have a, we have a great group. We're all together again, as you said, all those, uh, all the, all those of us that are on the air, but Jamie Burns is our director. So good at providing the pictures. Uh, Brian Woodrum is our producer and Ken Softman uh, produces uh, Pacers live pregame and postgame. So, uh, we've got so many fine men and women that work on our crew. Uh, can't can't say enough about them. So uh, we look forward to doing it each and every night for all of you. Appreciate it, Chris Denary, again on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Chris, enjoy it. We'll see you soon, all right? All right. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. Taking a look now at the morning checkdown and what happened last night in the NBA. The morning checkdown. Omaha! Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. By the way, speaking of tickets, we have them for 50 Cent as part of the pop quiz. Do we not still have them this morning? Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart, not 50 Cent. What did I say? I'm sorry, 50 Cent partnered with the Pacers on something. Sorry about that. Kevin Hart, that's what I meant to say. Um, Pacers announcing today a partnership with 50 Cent. I saw that I on Bush television. Star in the next Candy Shop video um, via 50 Cent. Sorry about that. Kevin Hart tickets uh, to give away as part of the pop quiz coming up in just about 10 minutes. But last night in the NBA, it was the Celtics over the Sixers, 126 to 117. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, 35 points apiece. Malcolm Brogdon, 16 for Boston off the bench. Golden State, 123 109 over the Lakers. Steph Curry with. 33. LeBron James did have 31 and 14. All right. We're set with the ALCS and, of course, the NLCS got underway last night. Sam Fritz very happy about his Phillies. Bryce Harper, that's what, three straight games now he's gone yard in the uh, postseason? I think it was two, one with one day off in between, and then one the game before that. Three straight, yeah. Three straight games, I guess, not not days, but I'm pretty sure it's three in a row oh, for Bryce I, I, Harper. I meant one of the days as being a game that he did not hit a home run. Got it, got yeah. it, got it, got it. Kyle Schwarber, uh, 488 feet on that tape measure shot. couple solos. Zach Wheeler was terrific. Two hits over seven innings. So the Phillies was get he one. Uh, he was wheeling. He was dealing. They're up 1-0. 435 is game two. And Yankees and Astros, that is 737 tonight. Curious to see how Justin Verlander responds from a very un-Verlander-like Game 1 in the ALDS. The Yankees 5-1 winners over the Guardians in Game 5. Stanton and Judge doing what Stanton and Judge do. 3-1 homer for Stanton and a solo shot for Aaron Judge. And back to the NBA real quick, just to give you some of the games tonight of note. Again, Washington and Indiana, 7 o'clock, Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Elsewhere, New Orleans and Brooklyn, that's a 7.30 start. The Bulls in Heat at 7.30. It is Charlotte and San Antonio at 8 o'clock as San Antonio and the Pacers both in the race for the number one overall pick, quite frankly. So, too, Oklahoma City perhaps in that mix. Minnesota they've got at 8 o'clock with Michael Grady on the call. First practice of the week for the Indianapolis Colts will begin just after noon today. They'll be getting ready for the Titans. Some injuries to watch. Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, um, Shaquille Leonard. Uh, does Julian Blackman get back to being available? He was only in an emergency role uh, coming into – 
Uh, last week's game, Quiddy Pay, that ankle injury. One thing we didn't note on the Jim Irsay news front from uh, earlier in the show, did you happen to see the commander's statement about Jim Irsay's comments, Jake? I did. They called it inappropriate, did they not? And I quote from the commanders, it is highly inappropriate but not surprising that Mr. Irsay opted to make statements publicly based on falsehoods in the media. It is unfortunate that Mr. Ursay decided to go public with his statement today while an investigation is in process and the team has had no opportunity to respond to allegations. The commanders have made remarkable progress over the past two years. We are confident that when he has an opportunity to see the actual evidence in this case, Mr. Ursay will conclude there is no reason for the Snyders to consider selling the franchise, and they won't. Here is the one question I would have from that. What was the time period of their remarkable progress? Uh, dose years. How long has Daniel Snyder owned the team? 99 is popping in my head for some reason. So if there was never any wrongdoing from Daniel Snyder, from what was it that they needed to progress? That would be my question to the Washington Commanders. I always find it odd, and I've probably been at fault for this. Like, Why do we need to say Mr. Ursay? The same was true of Polian. Did you ever notice that? Yeah, I, yeah, it, it was. You are right. I feel like when Polian was in I, charge I, of the I've Colts, I've never called everyone, Chris Ballard Mr. Right. Ballard. I, I don't know. Like with 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 Bill Polian, everyone called him Mr. Polian. Why? Bill Bill Polian. Yeah. Uh, that's a pretty strong statement. Do you think Daniel Snyder penned that and told the PR department to press send on the email? <laughs> <laughs> that's entirely possible. Somebody asked me, by the way, retell the restaurant story very simply. I asked a restaurant waiter at a prominent restaurant in Indianapolis. I will not say the name of the restaurant. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. This was a few years ago during the combine. And I said, hey, during the combine, like, who's the biggest jerk that's ever been in here? And without hesitation, this guy said, oh, the, that guy that owns the Washington football team. I said, well, tell me what happened. Well, he came in here. He sat down. Uh, he started to eat his dinner, and he lit up a cigar. And he was smoking a cigar in the restaurant. And everybody's like, well, what are we doing here? And they come over and they said, uh, sir, this is a no-smoking establishment. And he said, I don't care. I'm going to smoke my cigar. And they said, no, it's a no-smoking establishment. You need to be respectful to your fellow patrons. And he said, well, then bring me the bill for every one of them. He paid for everybody in the room, all of the strangers at their tables. They collected it. They tipped out whatever else and then said, all right, now you need to leave. And they kicked him out because he was that big a jerk. Not necessarily to James Corden level. Did you hear about that? Uh, I did. I, I'll sneak this in on Daniel Snyder uh, quickly. Uh, to echo that, was talking with someone that has worked for the Washington franchise over the years, and their quote about Daniel Snyder, complete and total a-hole, insane, inept, a petulant child. Other than that, he's pretty decent, right? Uh, I, I would like to think you could have you could ask probably ninety nine point nine if not every single employee um, that's worked for Jim Erson. I don't think you would hear anything close to that. Yeah, I would. I would assume that that's to be true. Uh, James Corden, by the way, the television host, banned and then unbanned from some restaurant in New York, but apparently for being extremely rude to the waitstaff, he was banned from a restaurant. And he called and apologized, and they said, "Okay, fine, you can come back." And I kind of like that guy. Yeah, he's, he seems okay, except for apparently you don't want to go to dinner with him. No. Or at least wait on him. A pair of Kevin Hart tickets Sunday at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Uh, did you go to Lizzo last night over there? I saw that Lizzo was there because um, 
Michelle Connell took her daughter to Lizzo and posted a picture on my group text, which then, due to some sort of an error, uh, came through 26 times. So I saw the same picture from the Lizzo concert 26 times. That's a lot of likes, potentially, (laughs) on that that picture. That is right, yeah. Uh, My mother-in-law and um, sister-in-law were in New York for her birthday, her 25th birthday a couple weeks ago. For Lizzo's birthday or their birthday? Uh, For her birthday, Anna, who is turning 25. And they saw Lizzo at Madison Square Garden. Very talented, right? Yes, extremely talented. They said it was an absolute blast uh, again kevin hart tickets a pair of them we are giving them away here coming up next on the pop quiz that would be 317-239-1070 a scan of today's pop quiz includes a lot of baseball i assume the kevin hart tickets will be enticing enough though for people to give us a ring we'll do that next here kevin and Corey.